Our reading will be Galatians 4.4. During this Advent season, we have been considering not only the birth of the babe of Bethlehem, but the announcement that proclaims his birth. We've been looking at information that is found on any ordinary birth announcement and then considering how those same truths have been revealed through the scriptures uh, about our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only considering how they are there in the scriptures, but then the implications that they have for our lives. Uh, We looked beginning uh, with his name, because that's one of the first things that you would find on any birth certificate or, or any birth announcement. And that his name, Jesus, is the from the Greek that came from the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua, because he would save his people from their sins. We consider the family from which he came that is both human and divine because Jesus is both fully man and fully God and both were necessary to accomplish the redemption that we needed. We considered last week his size, not his physical dimensions, but the height, the length, the width, and the depth of his love that would bring him to us. And this morning we consider the time of his birth. Our focus is Galatians 4.4, but for context I'll be reading beginning in Galatians 4.1, not Galatians 1, but hear the word of God. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. For the word of our Lord, let's pray. Holy God, we do come this day praying that you would be at work within us, that the spirit who has been at work within us, the birth of grace within us, bear fruit of love within us and through us, may be cultivated through the Word and the Spirit as we consider it this morning. I pray you would open our minds, that we would hear your truth as it has been recorded. You would open our hearts, that we would receive it and recognize our own need of it. You would open our eyes, that we may see not only ourselves, but those who are around us. You would bear fruit through us because of the birth of Christ and everything that it promises. May we gain understanding and be shaped by this truth today. We pray to the glory of the name of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer and our King. Amen. Well, if you uh, include today, you have a total of three more shopping days until Christmas. And not even full days, because most places won't be open fully today and they close early Christmas Eve. So with that in mind, I thought we would start out somewhat interactively this morning. I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you have completed all of your Christmas shopping? We are a sorry lot. Um, How many of you have yet to start your Christmas shopping? 
All right, we're not as bad as I thought we could be. All right, another question. How many of you in your household wait until Christmas morning for gifts to be opened? All right, it's maybe half, almost half. No particular reason for the questions other than curiosity. And, but I guess it does show us something. It does show us something about the nature of individuals or households in terms of our patience or our anxiousness. I find it interesting this time of year because I'm one who is not by nature patient, and yet I am incredibly good at what I would call patience, which really is procrastination and getting started. So that, that's a, you know, procrastination is a patience. I wait and I wait and wait until just the right time. And then yet, even though I'm not particularly patient, it's been my family tradition, that much to the consternation of sometimes of our, our children, that we wait until Christmas Day to open the gifts that uh, are to be exchanged. There's no written rule other than mine, um, and, and, and so uh, that we do that. But, you know, but those two things, particularly the fact that we wait, would seem to suggest a level of patience, but I, I'm not patient really by nature at all, and I, I suspect many of you uh, are not either. But our God is the essence of patience. Unlike many of us who become quite anxious at any time of the year, and maybe particularly at this time of the year, our Heavenly Father sits back and waits until just the right time, until the timing is perfect in every situation, and that is especially true of the sending of His own Son, the perfect gift into the world who has come to take away the sins of His people. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. The fullness of time means at just the right time, at the perfect time, is when Jesus came into the world. And when was that time? We really, we can't be certain. We do know that the first celebration of Christmas took place in the year 86 AD, and about 40 years later in different parts of the world, it became a a regular tradition in different expressions of the church. We know generally the year in which he was born, although most historians would say we're off by two to four years in terms of, we consider this, you know, AD 2019, but... Uh, that was just the way that they, by the time the world and the calendar caught up. But we don't know certainly the specific date, even though we celebrate it on a particular time every single year. There are many who have a hypothesis that his birth was really in April or May, and they have various reasons for calculating it that way. Uh, there are those who suggest and even celebrate a, a January birth, which is giving rise to the song of 12 Days of Christmas. Uh, there is 12 days between when we traditionally celebrate it in the West on December 25th until uh, the Eastern Church celebrates it in uh, early January. And so the 12 Days of Christmas begins on Christmas Day and ends uh, in early January. And then, of course, there's the traditional view that Jesus was born 
uh, on December 25th. And while many people in the West have embraced the uh, disagreement about that or, or are questioning that, uh, one thing I, find, uh, I found interesting a number of years ago is that in the, in the late 19th century, historian Alfred Edersheim, who wrote uh, a, a tremendous volume called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. When I say tremendous volume, it's, it's a workout to uh, not just to read it, but to lift it and put it on, on the table. Uh, my volume has uh, a little over 1,500 pages and, you know, and, uh, for that. But it was considered a, a masterpiece and study of the, the life of Christ, not only in, in its time in the, in the late, uh, late 1800s, but all through the 20th century and even to today. It, it is one of the go-to in studying of the life of Christ and then the world as it was as he entered into it. It is just filled with uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, wealth of information and, uh, and insight. Uh, but what's particularly of interest in that is in the appendix to that, an appendix, uh, uh, you know, Roman numeral seven. Uh, Edersheim goes into an interesting study of why he believes it's likely that Jesus was born on December 25th. Now, I won't go into that today, but uh, if you are curious about it, you can come ask me about it and we'll either get you a copy or send you to figure out where you can find it. It certainly is a available online for free. Uh, but there are a number of people that they vary in their belief uh, or their, their idea of when Jesus was born because we certainly don't know. And then that's on top of that, there are those people who believe that celebrating Christmas at all is a corruption of the event. And they cite not only the commercialism and the possible pagan influences that started the celebration, uh, but also the fact that there is absolutely no suggestion in the scriptures that we need to celebrate that day. Now, I say to them, bah humbug, but that's, uh, um, <laughs> and as I wrestled through that uh, early on in ministry, confronted by some people who held the view that we shouldn't do that, I had a, a wise, gentle old pastor say, look, if the world wants to spend uh, four weeks out of the year and look intently into the incarnation, let's go for it. And I thought, that's the only thing that I, I need to hear. That's incredible wisdom. There is no reason that we shouldn't celebrate because we are the beneficiaries of everything that is promised in Christ and through his birth. But while we can't say for certain that Jesus was born on December 25th, or we can't say for certain uh, when Jesus was born in terms of a, a precise date. One thing we can and that we m must say is this, is that Jesus was born at just the right time. Jesus was born at, at just the right time politically. And historically, we were, the world was in a, a period that was known as the Pax Romana. There were for 200 years of unprecedented peace, Rome had bludgeoned every other rival nation uh, in such a point that they wouldn't dare rise up against them. Consequently, it was a time of peace throughout the Middle East and, and most of Europe, most of the, of, of the world. And that would make for a perfect time for a message of a savior to be able to pass from one nation to another from Bethlehem, throughout the Middle East, throughout the entire Roman Empire, without fear of being seized or halted by warring factions. 
It was not only the right time politically, but it was the right time logistically. Because during that time, Rome, for the purposes of being able to extend extend, uh, their commerce and also to extend the influence and their oversight of their territory, they built a system, the Romans built a system of roads that was quite complex and quite well done. In fact, many of those roads are still being used throughout Europe today. And so if you were going to have a message that was to go from a local village, from one people to another, it's the time is perfect when the road system has been developed to make it easy to get people out and to share that message. And so it was the right time politically. It was the right time logistically. It was also the right time linguistically. You see, ever since the Tower of Babel, the nations had had a, a diversity, a, a wide array, uh, a, uh, a collage of, of languages. But all of that changed for a significant part of the world when a young and amazingly capable military leader named Alexander the Great conquered the known world. After conquering the world, he insisted in order for there to be some level of unity, in order to give oversight to the territories that he had now conquered, that everybody should speak the same language. And so he imparted to all of the nations in that part of the Roman Empire that they would speak what was known as Koine Greek, which is the most exacting and precise language that has been given to man or that man has developed on earth. Now, if you were wanting to send out a message and you were wanting to send out a message of incredible theological complexity, something that needed specificity so that people would have clarity rather than just vague ideas. You would need a language that was able to convey the specifics. And at this point in history, with Greek being the language of the peoples, whether people spoke it as their first tongue, they certainly understood it. They, they were familiar with it. It was the perfect time to communicate a message with clarity. And so it was just the right time politically. It was just the right time logistically. It was just the right time linguistically. It was also just the right time philosophically. People had grown tired of the Roman and Greek gods that had been idolized and worshipped in previous generations. Gods like Zeus and Apollo. Many of the people had come to the same conclusion that you did when you were studying them in your high school English classes. These gods are silly and petty. And some of them are just plain stupid. I mean, they argue over the most ridiculous things. And their response is childish. And they're selfish. There's really very little about them that is worthy to be emulated. And while people may have believed that they were gods and therefore they had power, they'd grown tired of a god in their imagination. 
who was more like them than they themselves wanted to be. People beginning to see their silliness created a vacancy in the mind that was perfect for the planting of a message of substance, of depth, of meaning, and that had veracity. You see, the message of Christmas is the birth of God's redeeming of people. It is rooted in a historic event, not only of the birth of one named Jesus, but later in one named Jesus who would be crucified and then rise from the dead three days later. There's a veracity of the message that we celebrate because this is the birth of redemption. And so everything in Christianity, the message that was now being spread through on those roads and through with that language was of one of Christ crucified. And if Christ was crucified and rose again, then it's a clear declaration that the message is true. If Christ was crucified and did not rise from the dead, then it is as silly and mythological as any other religion that the people had heard about. But countless testimonies of seeing Jesus, the one whose birth we celebrate, the one whose death has redeemed us, and the one whose resurrection has given us hope. Those testimonies verify the testimony the scriptures give. And so people were prepared for something new, a new hope. And so it was the right time politically. It was the right time logistically. It was the right time linguistically. It was the right time philosophically, and it was the right time spiritually. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to Israel through a prophet. God had seemed to be amazingly silent while people went about their day-to-day businesses. Many people continued to worship him, and they were longing for him and clinging to the promise. Many who relished the identity of being the people of God as uh, Israel, even though they haven't been scattered, and yet some regathered. They were longing to hear from God. Some may wonder, why was God silent for so long? And I don't know the definitive answer. But I do know this. Sometimes in a normal conversation, if you want to be heard, you whisper. Because people then turn their ear intently and they concentrate and they focus because they need to hear from you. And so in those whisperings of 400 years without God speaking very clearly, when he gave his final word, which is Jesus Christ, he said it in a shout while people were leaning in, hungering and prepared because they had need of God. They needed to see God at work. They needed to hear what God was doing and the hope that God was offering. By the time Jesus had come, in an almost seeming vacuum of 400 years of God speaking, people were hungry for something to happen. And so when John the Baptist arrived on the scene and he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, the people stood up and took notice. 
And when Jesus began his ministry, he spoke and he taught and he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to see God, look at me. Because if you've seen me, you know what God is like. You have seen the Father. When Jesus said that, the response of a hungry people was, no man has ever spoken with such clarity and such authority and with such boldness. It was the perfect time. And we could go on and on and talk about various ways in which God was preparing the world for just the right time, for the fullness of time when he would send forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem people who were under the law, that we who believe might become children of God. What I want you to think about during this Christmas season is what the timing of God sending Jesus say to you and say to me during this Christmas time. You see, when I consider the Christmas story from a historical standpoint, biblical perspective, I marvel at the Father's timing. Because there are so many times that I would wonder, Lord, can I trust you with the situation that I'm wrestling with? It seems to be going on so long. There have been hints of help that have given hope, but I still struggle. I'm still in the midst of it. But what Christmas says to me when I have that question, Lord, can I trust you in this situation, is this. At just the right time, the problem will be resolved. At just the right time, God will deliver. If we were to look into our own lives and look through history, one of the things that we see is that there's different errors that we make that, uh, that cause many of the problems that we experience. One of which is to... to uh, disobey God, to not act when God calls us to act. But another that is equally problematic for many of us is for us who move ahead and act rather than waiting for God to work out his purpose. I mean, you can think biblically, historically about this. Think about Abraham, to whom God had made a promise. He said, Abraham made a promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to provide, you're going to have a son. And certainly understandable. After a number of years had gone by and it hadn't happened, Abraham then, speaking to his wife, said essentially, Sarah, how are we going to make this promise? God made, made us a promise and we're not seeing it happening. So how are we going to make this happen? Sarah's solution, take my handmaiden, Hagar. Culturally, it was acceptable. Legally, any child born to Abraham through Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, would legally belong to Abraham and, and Sarah. So it meets the criteria of the law. So Abraham took Hagar and had a child by her. Then 12 years later, the child that God had promised Isaac was miraculously conceived 
been born, and so now he had two sons and a lot of problems. A lot of problems that we still see making a mess in the world today because one who had been given a promise didn't wait, didn't trust God, tried to make things happen on his own. You think of Saul, who was raised up to be king of Israel. Told by Samuel to wait before he went into battle. Seven days came and went. And Saul got panicky. He was waiting for an opportunity for the priest to offer a sacrifice so that Israel would be blessed as they go into war. Saul's the king, he's the leader. In his panic and in his responsibility, he decided we're not going to go into war without offering a sacrifice to God. There's no priest to be found. Since I'm the one who's responsible, he offers the sacrifice, asking for the Lord's blessing. The moment that he offered the sacrifice, just at that point, Samuel, the priest, comes in and says, why didn't you wait? Why didn't you obey? Because you failed to wait, because you disobeyed in taking matters into your own hands, you now forfeit your own kingdom. I always thought that that was incredibly harsh punishment for somebody who wanted to do the right thing. But the reality is, our failure to wait at God often causes many of our problems as much as blatant disobedience to God does. Story after story in the Bible story after story in our own lives of the problems that we are experiencing many of them come from our unwillingness to wait on God because of our uneasiness in trusting God whether or not God will come through but the story of Christmas is a reminder that God does come through the fullness of time. He will give birth to his promises. How's he going to do it in your life? I have no idea. How's he going to do it in my life? I haven't a clue. When is he going to do it? Your guess is as good as mine. The only thing that I know is that God has made a promise. His character is unimpeachable. And his historical record has demonstrated as we celebrate the season just the right time God will complete it in fact it's quite likely that whatever the issue that you're wrestling with right now the thing that you're praying for the Lord to deliver you from he may already be at work behind the scenes in ways that you cannot see and cannot even imagine because the promise of God that is in Christmas reminds us of the promise that Paul expresses later on to the Romans is that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so when we consider the babe of Bethlehem and we consider celebration at this Christmas time, we are reminded about the baby who was born at the perfect time, knowing that we have the same God, the same Heavenly Father who did that at that point in time, who prepared the world for his son and who is also now preparing a place for you and for me in his presence. The one who has promised to see you through whatever circumstance, whatever situation that you may be facing. He's working all things together in a way that you and I can't imagine. But at just the right time, 
when the time fully comes, his promise will be born to you and to me. That's the celebration of Christmas, of when it happened. It is the promise of Christmas that is still to come. Father, we pray with thanksgiving this day that you are faithful. We wait for you to come. We wait for you to deliver us from the evils of this world. We know that you will because you've already come and you've already delivered us from the guilt of our sin. But we wait because you've promised to return. And in that meantime, Lord, we who sometimes find it difficult to wait, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would be at work within us. We pray that you would send your Spirit, that we may grow in grace, and that your Spirit may remind us that you are trustworthy and bring to mind every example that is filled, that your Scriptures are filled with, that we may have the peace that comes through believing. Lord, prepare us not only for your coming, but prepare us for this day and the days to follow and each day between now and then. Use this Christmas season and all that it promises to point us to your hope and enable us to believe. We pray in Christ. Amen.